0: Well, perhaps you thought by now he had ended his journey, our journey, if you will, through Jonah, but I have not. I have one more message to share from the book of uh, Jonah. And so I want us once again to turn to to chapter 4. I'll read the entire chapter, but are going to focus on one word. At the very end of chapter 4... In verse 11. But let us now hear God's Word. The only Word on the planet that is from Him, inspired by God. <clears throat> let us hear from the prophet from the book of Jonah. Chapter 4, the last chapter in this book. <clears throat> it's between... Obadiah and Micah. Not that that helps much if you don't know. (laughs) Where's Obadiah? Where's Micah? But they are familiar to many. Let's hear God's word. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry. He prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and great of kindness, and repent thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a human. the east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. And said, The Lord, thou hast had pity on the good, for the which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not spear Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? May God advance his word in our heart. Through the hearing of it read and now preached upon. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, as I said, my focus is on the last verse, the last word of verse 11, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, 120,000, that that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. You know, when I, I ask uh, the question, why, of the Lord, I always go to the scripture first to find the answer to my why. And oftentimes you find it there in the scripture Why, Lord? Why this? Why that? Sometimes you, you find an answer, but you feel it's a partial answer. That it doesn't go far enough to explain the situation. And Calvin points out that when we do that and we ask the Lord why, we and we come to the scripture and ask the scripture, which he has revealed to us, his why, his answers. When he gives us the answer, know this, we can go no farther in terms of speculation. We must accept his answer. I, I think of this uh, in the context that You know, and the question I'm about to ask, why this, Lord? But it's not the same. But uh, in the ministry, over the past 37 years now, being a faithful minister of the Word of God, not by my own strength, but by the grace of God. In fact, it's by the grace of God I am now able to stand before you and with somewhat clarity of mind speak to you at my age. A lot of people can't do that at my age, or won't do it. A lot of people can. I'm one of them, by the grace of God. And I thank Him very much. But when I ask the Lord why, for example, why did He save me, and perhaps not my brothers, although I'm praying that he will. Perhaps my father, although I I don't know for sure, he didn't seem to indicate that throughout his life. Maybe at the end. My mother, I don't know. I didn't really get to know her too well. She died when I was about 13 years of age, and at that time I wasn't interested in anything but myself. But I ask, why me? I asked why you? And I go to the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says, Blessed be the name of the Father who has revealed himself to babes. And then the final clause there, indicating that Jesus said, Even so, Father it seemed right, good in your sight to do. And that's the answer that he gives. That's the clearest answer I have found in the Bible. There are other ways to discuss it, but that's one of the clearest answers that I have got. And and likewise, when a sickness comes upon, a sickness even unto death, a sickness of a loved one that claims or is about to claim their life. My brother. Why, Lord? Why him? Why her? And I, I go back to that scripture. I really do. Even so, Father. It seemed right. It seemed good in your sight. And I trust the goodness of God. God is good. He's not evil. He's not wicked. He's not vindictive. He's not a wretch. He's good. And what he does or is about to do is always good even though I may not understand it, I may not see it. It may not be clear to me yet. I trust that God is good and what he does is always right. I just want to share that with us because we've been going through a hard time as a congregation, a difficult time with all this stuff that's going on. Good times, yes, but, you know, there's a lot of sicknesses, cancers, there's aggravating circumstances in life, there's you know, bad things. But God is good. He knows what he's doing and he's, he sees it as being the right thing at the right time to do. And I don't understand it. I can't give you a satisfactory answer. But I can give you a satisfactory answer, I hope, and pray when I ask the scripture here, why this Lord, why end this magnificent book of Jonah, by the way, with the preaching of Jonah upon the faithful preaching of Pastor Man Joni in, uh, in the uh, United Presbyterian Church of Flushing, Queens. He saved my life. God saved my life using Pastor Man Joni to preach faithfully from the book of Jonah, Resting Jonah in his rebellion and his rebellious way bringing him back and saying to me from the pulpit, though he didn't know me, pastor didn't know me at that time, where can you run? Where can you hide? Where can you go? away from God. Right then and there, bam, I was arrested. It doesn't happen that way for everyone. It happened that way for me. This wonderful, marvelous book has meant a lot to me since then, along with many others. But, you know, you scratch your head and you say, well, why do you end with this last verse and with the last word of this verse? Cattle. You know, the the, the Hebrew word <coughs> is actually behemoth. Uh, Not behemoth, behemoth. And it's usually translated, often translated, beast. And it means... It means to describe all animals. Beasts. But sometimes it's translated cattle, as in livestock. Same word. And here it's translated correctly, cattle or in other translations, like the New King James Version, for example, livestock, and uh, others as well. And that's what this is. And also much Cattle or much livestock. And I'm asking why? Why in this marvelous book of the sovereign mercy of God with cattle, of all things, cattle? Others have asked this question, it's not just me. Commentators have commented on it. In fact, I have a a comment from uh, Calvin on this verse. It's not too difficult to understand why God is extending his mercy not only to the adults, but to the children, 120,000 children that cannot discern between the right hand and the left hand. In other words, they don't know about your preaching, Jonah. They don't understand what it means to repent or perish. These are youngsters, some four years old or three years old or even younger than that. Maybe some a couple of years older than that. But they don't understand, they don't know the difference. And God is extending his mercy to them. Beyond the king, beyond the many adults, to these children. But then he goes on to say, and also much cattle or livestock. What? Uh, I don't know, maybe that's not a question in your mind. But it has been a question in my mind, and it's a question in the mind of many others. And so I want to uh, address that. Well, sovereign mercy towards children, fine, but livestock? Now, the uh, most commentators are of the opinion... uh, that it's part of a scale of values that God is establishing by way of teaching Jonah. So you go from the highest one, the king, to the general populace, to the children, and to the livestock. So, you know, descending in value, but still, reaching throughout the city the Sovereign mercy and salvation of God reaching throughout the city, even onto the livestock. Calvin said, oxen were certainly superior to shrubs. I mean, Jonah was concerned about the gourd. That was helping him so much. He was so pleased with it. And then when it withered, he was terribly upset. Oxen were certainly superior to shrubs, says Calvin. If Jonah was right in grieving over one withered shrub, it would surely be a a harder and more cruel thing for so many innocent animals to perish. Now, some commentators have gone a little bit beyond Calvin here. They say, it's not good enough, that comment. It may be right. Uh, Calvin's not wrong about that. Don't get get me wrong. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with him. But I I think it goes a little further, as as some commentators have put it. uh, they, They go to passages like Proverbs 12, verse 10. A righteous man regards the life of his beast. That word, beast. A righteous man, one that is right before God, regards the life of his his animal. It's terrible. You hear people abusing their pets and their animals. That's, that's not righteous. Jesus, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? They have worth too. Not much, but they have worth. He goes on to say, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. The Father God. Appoints their life and their death. And he regards every single one of his creatures. So they say, uh, these commentators say that they find in the reference to cattle a reference to the character of God's mercy. God's mercy. And he is displaying for us here by ending this book of mercy and grace and sovereignty and salvation with the the word cattle, behoma, beast, livestock, by showing you that he has mercy that his mercy extends beyond what we may think to include even our animal friends <clears throat> god showered his mercy in sending jonah to the to nineveh In saving the heathen sailors who threw Jonah overboard. In saving Jonah from his disobedience. In sending Jonah a second time to Nineveh to preach there. In making Jonah a sign to the Ninevites and saving them by that sign. And in saving Nineveh's children. And then Jonah acknowledges all this, for I knew that thou art gracious, God, and merciful, slow to anger, great in kindness, and repent thee of thee, even now he's saying that I extend my mercy unto the livestock. Well, that comports well with the psalm we just read responsively, does it not? In Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9, I'll read them to you again the Lord is gracious and full of compassion slow to anger great in mercy the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all all his works This has implications, brothers and sisters, but I want to emphasize the fact right now that God's mercies extend to all his works, not just us. Certainly, that's clearly taught here by ending this fabulous book on this note. Livestock, cattle beast. Verses 15 and 16 of Psalm 145, which we just read responsibly. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou gives them their meat in due season. Thou opens thine hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Really, God is not just merciful to us his mercies are all over the place and in this particular case on the animal kingdom and why is that? I mean what 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 am I getting at? what are others are Calvin getting at? other commentators what, what are you all getting at here? For again, you remember what I told you a number of times before. I do not preach anything. I do not teach anything of my own, my own making. Unless I announce this is a, you know, this is what I think. But I'm teaching you, I'm preaching to you based on what others have said. Remember, SOP standard operating procedure from there. I'm not telling you anything weird or you know Brooklynese, though I may speak funny. I'm not telling you anything funny, but I will say this: that what you're being taught here, what you hear here in this place, you will not hear. In many other churches, in this neighborhood, you won't hear the things there that you hear here. I guarantee it to your loss, to their loss. Not that I'm great, I'm not again, I'm not hearing anything new. This is all old. I'm not claiming any remarkable insights. But the remarkable insights of many others that have gone before me. You would do well. So would I. To pay attention. Careful attention. And never miss a shot. Never miss an opportunity to be here for it. Because you're not going to hear this in too many other places. Again, you know I'm not tooting my own horn, because it's very weak. (laughs) I am nothing. I am a nobody. I am the least among the presbyters of the Ohio Presbytery. I believe that. The least. Said that in the general sense. I'm the least among the presbyters here. Nothing special about me. the grace of God that's in me. So why this? Okay, well, when we go to Romans 8, 19 to 22, we begin to make a connection. We see the connection. It starts to appear before our mind's eye what is going on. In Romans 8, verses 19 to 22, you don't have to turn to it, but I want to read this just to remind you of what you have already heard a dozen times before and no, For the earnest expectation of the creature, now that's in the King James Version, your version might say creation, same word. The earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature, or the creation, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who had subjected the same in hope. Because the creature, or the creation itself, also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. Then uh, it reaches us better. It, it, it's a good invention. Microphone amplification is a good invention. It helps. Anyway, I'll uh, I'll speak up. We have some some sound here now. <clears throat> that the whole creation is waiting. In expectation to advance, to advance towards the new earth. Yes, there's a new heavens, but there's also a new earth waiting for all the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And once the last one or the, yeah, the last one is revealed, has become saved, the Lord returns. And the entire creation not just men and women boys and girls but creation itself will be placed on a new level a better level a level that's free from corruption now I guess I should say which one of these commentators points out that we're not talking about I'm not talking about the Lord is not talking about speaking about here in Jonah chapter 4 or in Romans chapter 8 that our individual animal friends or dogs or cats or whatever are going to be resurrected that that's not what is being hinted at at all they don't have souls like we do to be uh, resurrected nevertheless Not only ourselves, but the entire creation at the time of Jesus Christ's return will be redeemed from corruption and be brought into the liberty of the sons and daughters of God, the children of God. Now, there are several reasons why God's mercy extends to the creation. One of them, and you've heard this before. I have talked about it before. Others have uh, have, set, have taught, taught it, and that is that uh, <clears throat> creation itself is God's handiwork. God didn't create the entire universe and the Earth in particular, and mankind upon the earth, and all the animals and everything else, to completely destroy it. This is God's handiwork. work He created the earth, and the garden that Adam and Eve were to tend, they were to tend that garden. You know they're, 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 the, the thing that they were to do was? They were to expand the garden, the garden paradise that they were in. They were to expand it to cover the entire earth, become gardeners of the entire earth, to expand that paradise outward, throughout the entire earth. never happened, but that's the idea. And so what we have... For a reason why God cares about what He created is because He is going to expand His paradise, but not the first paradise, the new paradise. He's going to expand it throughout the earth, the whole earth. Now, I don't know what that's going to be like. No one does it's it's hard to imagine it's impossible to imagine but there's going to be it's going to be an earth where there's no sin no corruption no disease no hostilities but what that's going to be like how it's going to look when the heaven the new heaven and the new earth are combined i don't know but that's a, a reason why uh, this, is, this is there. Another reason why God, uh, God's tender mercies are over all his works, it's not just us, but his, his mercies are, are over all his works, is because there's a connection between us and everything else. All the animals, the plants, of course, but the animals, and we're all made of the same stuff. We all come from the same place, the earth. We're not spiritual creatures like the angels are, and the animals are different from us that way. We do. We were created in the image of God, and we carry that image, especially those of us who have been born anew, have become new creatures. We have been given a new nature. We have been given the image of Christ more and more. But this earth is, we're still connected to it. We're still the same substance in that sense. And so there is this, as as uh, others have said, there's this organic connection between us and the earth, and the rest of us. No wonder. That. The scientists discover that there's a lot of similarities between the beast, the animals, and us. Of course, we're made of the same stuff. And so there's that connection. So as we go, they will go also. It will go also. Again, how that's going to work out? But you're not going to have your pet in heaven or something like that, that's for sure. But... I don't know what it's going to be like, the new earth, except it's going to be glorious. And there's this connection uh, between us. So God's going to, yes, he's going to redeem us, but he's going to redeem the earth upon which we are. And a, uh, another reason given uh, why, uh, why his mercies extend is because, and and this will will rub us Americans the wrong way, and rub many of us, uh, uh, our evangelical brothers and sisters, the wrong way. Uh, God is not random. God doesn't do things in a random, individualistic fashion. He always works corporately. He's always thinking that way. He's a family God. He doesn't work in just this random, individualized uh, way. He works in generations. He gives Christians, as I've often said, he gives Christians to Christians. He grows the church inwardly as well as outwardly, but he brings them all. He brings every one of us. When well, he brings us from outward, outside uh, the family or inside the family, Whatever He brings us into a family to become what? Members of his body. This is not random. This is not individual. This is not, he goes his way, she goes his way. He comes this from this, he comes from there. But when they do come, they come into a corporate body of which Christ is the head. We are, yes, individual members of The body. And so he's bringing everything together. And now, just as we are under the curse because of sin, the creation itself is under the curse for the sake of our sin. Likewise, when we are brought. glory and glorification and Jesus returns on the new day and he enlivens the earth and brings it into a glorious state. It's all together. The other, uh, I want to end on this and that is from uh, one writer's perspective. He says it is this writer's belief that the organic connection of all things is a reflection of the unity of the three persons of the Godhead. The unity of God himself in three persons. And what's he getting at? What he's getting at is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit created everything. It wasn't just God the Father. It wasn't just the Spirit hovering over the water. It was God with the Spirit and Christ Jesus, we are told by the Apostle Paul in another place in Colossians, that everything, all things, not just people, all things were created by him and for him and are going towards him or to him. And so it's just as the Trinity is unified, Everything will be unified in Christ. To the praise of his glorious name, the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All things will be brought into glory, in unified, just as God. There's not going to be any disunity, disjointedness, as there is now. There's not going to be any disjointedness. When God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bring everything together and bring us, along with the creation itself around us, into the glorious harmony of the persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what this writer is, is getting at. And uh, he wants us to know, this writer continues, and uh, I might add as well, that this should humble us. This should make us think again about our questions when we question God. When we ask of him, why this or why that? Why has this happened to me? Why is this going the way it is for me or for us? We need to realize that God is a merciful God. He has a good, and a, a good plan and a good purpose for every single one of us. He has a place in his new heaven and new earth for each and every one of us. And that should bring, that should advance in us a deep appreciation for what he has given to us. Not only has he given to us this to us in a theological sense, or or in some sort of spiritual-minded sense, but he's he's given to us in a very real sense, profound sense. His love, his love. He's reached out to each and every one of us. I'm just telling them, for you, I have good things in mind, good plans. Therefore, dear people, be thankful, be grateful, appreciate him, no matter what, appreciate him. For his mercy is upon you, upon your life, upon your future, upon the world. He's given you not just salvation in and of yourself. He's given you a saved world. It's coming. It's coming. Thanks be to God, and Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord, we do thank thee. We do thank thee for the, the words of truth. We know that that this uh, this is not just some random thing uh, that you were teaching to, uh, to uh, Jonah, but that much cattle is going to advance. It's, it's, it's advancing the truth that's going to be much in the saved world that surrounds us that we are to look forward to. And we are moving towards that, Lord. Protect our faith because it's under attack today. It's not only from without, but it's even from within the church, the body of Christ, that it's being attacked. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would protect our faith. May your angel be watchful among us and give us, each and every one of us, the mind of Christ. For this we ask in your name. Amen.